Hello and welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall and I'm a folklore researcher. Hello, dear listener. How are you? We're moving ever closer towards Samhain here in the UK, better known as Halloween when the veil between the worlds runs thin and you may catch a glimpse of something you cannot quite explain. I personally love this time of year and I always look forward to it. Thanks for all your brilliant messages and tweets. I really love to hear from you, whether it's about the show, your own experiences or your thoughts on these matters. None of us have the answers, so it's great to band some ideas around. You can reach me at scarletofthefay.com and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at underscore remain underscore curious. I'm thankful to be able to do this with the Curious crew each month too. This time we had a number of people join the live chat, which was really great. A special hello and etheric hug to Laura and Kelly and thank you so much for your generous support. I couldn't keep making these episodes without you all, so I'm ever grateful. And if you'd like to join us, go to patreon.com forward slash the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast for bonus material and to meet the rest of the crew. It's October 17th today, and I'm delighted to have been asked to talk next weekend, 23rd of October, at Glastonbury Town Hall as part of the Crystal Fairy Weekend. The talks are free, so anyone in the area is welcome to come along. The most exciting thing about it is Brian and Wendy Froud are also speaking, so I really hope to catch that. Um, I'm planning to record my talk and share it with patrons. I'll do my best there. This episode is going to be a little different, and it's something I've been thinking about doing for some time. For whatever reason, it feels like the right time to share this now. I've been thinking a lot about the nature of consciousness. And as I look around me at this time of great change, I notice that more and more people are naturally exploring what's true for them. I'm going to share two life-changing experiences I had, which helped me see the world from a very different perspective than I had previously. One was through meditation, and the second was after a powerful healing experience. I believe that these two events helped open me to the fairy experiences which followed fairly soon afterwards. I offer this from my heart and with love to any listener who needs to hear it. I'm open to answering any questions about it, so do feel free to get in touch. experience took place in around 1996 when I was 19 or 20. A woman at work had lent me the Celestine Prophecy, right, no sniggering at the back, which at the time was a highly influential book and triggered spiritual awakenings for many people. She was teaching Reiki and I was interested in learning about healing. So one particular evening we met for a meditation exercise at her home. There were a few of us as far as I remember and we were all asked to bring a crystal. I brought an amethyst, and it was probably about the size of a small apricot. 
She explained that we would take the crystal in our left palm and cover it with our right hand. Then with every intake of breath, we would draw in the energy of the crystal through our hands, up our arms and into our hearts. When breathing out, we'd send our heart energy to the crystal in the same way. And the aim was to reach some kind of resonance with the vibration of the crystal and to share an experience with that crystal. It all sounded straightforward, so we went ahead into this meditative state. I can't remember how long we were meditating for, but at some point I suddenly left my body. I found myself on another plane of existence where I didn't exist, but I was everything at the same time. It just felt like infinity, no boundaries to me whatsoever. I no longer had a body, but I just felt this infinite vastness which I was melded into. It was shocking to me in that moment, and my mind and emotions kicked in as I realised I didn't know how to get back. I came out of the meditation and had a bit of a panic attack in this woman's lounge. She was clearly very concerned about me and a bit freaked out too, so she went to ask her partner for advice. He was in the kitchen, although he wasn't anything to do with the evening's event, but he had more experience in these sorts of spiritual opening exercises. He immediately asked, what were you meditating with? It was, of course, an amethyst. What I didn't know then was that the amethyst, being violet-coloured, aligned with the vibration of the violet chakra. It has that resonance. Eastern philosophies explain that the violet chakra is all about the all, the infinite realm which people might associate with the higher power or a god realm, according to what belief you hold. I was quite blown away by the experience and I wasn't sure how it had happened and I certainly hadn't been told in my life that it was possible for ordinary people to have these experiences. And of course the point is that we can. This is freely accessible to anybody at any time. The second experience took place in 2005. A year or so before, a friend of mine who I'd met at some of the esoteric workshops I'd attended in the late 90s had just come back from a residential course with Martin Brofman, creator of the Body Mirror System of Healing. I had learned Reiki and was interested in playing with these spiritual perspectives and alternate realities. She was very excited about what she'd learned and she gave me a copy of his chakra attunement, I think it was a CD or a tape, which featured a spoken meditation by Martin, accompanied by Rup Verma on the sitar. It was an excellent tool for self-insight and healing, and I felt particularly drawn to Martin's voice. I'd heard many of these sorts of New Age or healing CDs in the past, and most of them just irritated me, to be quite honest, but there was something very different about this. It wasn't airy-fairy, it was very matter-of-fact. There was no BS here. And the only way I can describe it is that I felt he was true. So at the next opportunity, I went to one of his workshops. In May 2005, he held a four-day workshop at the London College of Psychic Studies. Sitting there in a group of around 30 strangers, I listened as he described the healing technique and invited us to prepare for the course. An important ingredient was to state to the class what you wanted to be healed from. I realised I wasn't sure what to say because, in my mind, I'd only come there to learn the technique. But I noticed that when people said they had nothing to heal from, he encouraged them to consider whether there were any parts of their lives that weren't working for them, things that could be better. 
and if they had no physical symptoms to report, he would point out to some of them that they were wearing glasses, so there was something to be healed. When he came to me, I told him that I was short-sighted, and my home situation wasn't great at the time, because I had nowhere to call my own home at that point, along with my two young children. I was living in a house that belonged to somebody else, and it just wasn't working out. I'd set my intentions, and we carried on with the day, learning and practising the techniques to build towards the full healing on the last day. To teach each step of the technique, he needed a guinea pig to sit on the seat at the front of the class. In his typical silly and entertaining manner, he called it the magic chair because he'd turn away and magically when he turned back, somebody would be sitting there. On the last day, I found myself standing up and walking towards the chair. Feeling very nervous in front of the class of people, I told him I was wearing contact lenses, but I'd forgotten to bring solution, so I couldn't take them out. I needed to find my way back to where I was staying to be able to read the signs in the train stations. But he encouraged me to step fully into the experience and expect to be healed. He said that I could always place the lenses in some water and put them back in afterwards. So I took them out and of course one of them ripped. I knew I couldn't put them back in. It took me a while to relax in the chair. Eyes closed and hands in my lap as he stood behind me with his hands resting gently on my shoulders but I did eventually relax. After some time, I imagine it was about 20 minutes, he had cleared each chakra in turn, all the way to my crown, at which point he knelt in front of me, held my hands and told me I could open my eyes. I will never forget the feeling in that moment. As I looked around the room, which was now vibrant with colour, I took a sharp intake of breath, and I touched the space between my heart and solar plexus. The first thing I said was, the fear has gone. I hadn't even known that I felt frightened before, but now it was gone, it was almost like a physical removal of something. It was so noticeable, I didn't feel frightened anymore. I feel quite sad when I think about that, because I know that many of us walk around holding fear the whole time, and this really colours the way that we look at the world. It can really stop us experiencing life to the full as we're holding our true selves back with limiting ideas and crippling anxiety. The next thing I noticed in that moment was that I could see clearly and colours were vivid. I could look out of the window from that second floor room and see the leaves on the trees, a detail that I couldn't previously make out. Later that day, as I walked home, I found I could see the signs clearly but also for the first time in a long time, I could see people's faces across the street. I could see their physical features, whereas once there had just been a blur with a colour of hair and an outline of their body. I felt a real sense of connection with everything around me, and even simple events like going into a shop played out very differently. When I got home there was a letter from a housing trust offering me a house, and I went to see it that week. It's something that just didn't look like it was going to happen until that point and I felt that the healing had released something which had resulted in this. Everything was different in my life from that moment. It was like someone had turned the on switch and I was actually living my life the way I'd always wanted to. I was suddenly doing things I enjoyed 
and some new people came into my life with shared interests with whom I felt a genuinely strong, loving connection to. I can say that I felt alive and also loved for who I was. The fairy encounter took place the following year in about 2006. By then I'd met the man who was to become my husband and life had already taken a very different direction. I went back each year to do a body mirror system workshop with Martin and each time I peeled back more layers to become even more like my true self and reassess what felt good to me. It's not complicated. As Martin taught me, to check if you're where you want to be in life, ask yourself if you can say these three things. I love where I am. I love who I'm with. I love what I'm doing. And if you can't align with these statements, then look at what needs changing. Sometimes it's simply about changing your perception of a situation. But sometimes it ultimately means leaving a situation that makes you unhappy. The other piece of advice he imparted was, do what you really want to do, don't do what you really don't want to do, and trust your trip. Maybe this advice is useful to you too. I hope my share was helpful in some way. If you'd like me to talk more about the mechanisms of these techniques, then let me know and I'll provide a follow-up episode at some point. I've described my subjective experiences here, but such philosophies have been well known to other cultures for centuries. We can look to those we regard as being enlightened beings like Jesus and Buddha and see that they were also playing with other realities and exploring ideas of consciousness. And rather than such wisdom remaining outside of our capabilities, these beings taught us that such methods were simple and accessible to everybody. And that's true. But it's about letting go of what we perceive as everyday normal reality and simply being open to other possibilities in the physical plane. These may go against what we understand as the ordinary laws of nature. I'll leave some more information on the show notes if you'd like to read further. Although Martin is no longer with us on the physical plane, and very much missed, I thought that it would be good to share some of his wisdom here. This is one of a series of mini-interviews with him which are available on YouTube. You'll find links to these and his books on the show notes. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. nature of consciousness is, moved toward, is to move toward the completion of uh, the pictures you put in your consciousness. So if you start with a stillness, and then you have a wish, then you have a goal, then you're moving toward the completion of your goal. And uh, along the way, of course, events in the outer world are moving you towards that. But also along the way, uh, you're, you're having other goals. Hey, it would also be nice if, and it would be that would be nice if, and I would like this, and and so the the path toward 
fulfillment, I can say, is, is not so direct. It becomes a bit more complex in interacting with others. Um, and at the same time, if we look at our lives, if we look back at our lives, uh, we can recognize at some point we made a decision. It would be nice to have something, to do something, to achieve something, to experience something. And then at another point in our life, it happens. It happens. So it's like we've asked something from the universe and the, and the universe delivers it in some way that's in accord with what we let ourselves to believe is possible. So these, these esoteric principles, they're not uh, just mind games. The, the objective is for us to understand our life and how it works and how things happen. And so when we can see this as an operative principle in our life, that uh, we are moving toward the completion of goals that we have established or asked for uh, earlier. The next question is what happens when we reach the end of a lifetime and we haven't yet experienced all of the things uh, that we've asked for. And uh, so, um, as I see it, uh, we go to the other side and we look around and, and we ask ourselves, where is there another storyline that continues this process of the delivery of, of things that I have asked for? Okay, there's one. I can jump into that movie down there and uh, see it through the eyes of that character and the process will continue. Okay, so when we're... Uh, looking at things in this way and, and when we go out there deciding what movie to jump into then I'd say we're talking about the, the level that we call the soul and, and when we're looking at the movie down there and the character that's in that movie then that character is the level that we can call the spirit the individualized consciousness uh, in that lifetime so, in a way, we can say uh, the soul is the actor and the spirit then is the part that the person is playing, the character that they're playing in a particular lifetime. So, uh, we come into a certain lifetime uh, as a baby. We, we're uh, suddenly discovering what, what is this thing, this, this uh, body, and how does it work? And, and then uh, we interact uh, with our next level of... Uh, of surroundings, our connections with our parents, and then uh, we make some sounds, uh, mama, everybody makes a big deal about it, rewards us with a lot of love, we learn something, wow, and we live for love, we need more. So we continue to learn. And pretty soon what happens is we identify ourselves by what we know rather than by who we are. And then... Uh, we develop this level that people call the personality or the ego. So the personality or the ego is, for most people, their level of everyday attention. So we have this, this level of everyday attention here, and when, when something comes up and it's not resolved, we put it away down there somewhere uh, to a deeper level of our consciousness where it's still running. So that deeper level of our consciousness where it's still running that's uh, what the Western traditions are calling the subconscious or the unconscious. But that's who we really are. So when we hear um, you had a subconscious wish for that to happen, 
it means the real you wanted that to happen. So that's the real you. Uh, the level of the spirit, um, level of personality is who you think you are. But the level of the spirit is who you really are. And so what we do is we make the subconscious or the unconscious conscious. When we're looking at the body-mind relationship and uh, seeing the message of the symptoms, then we're saying this is the message from that level of our being, from who we really are, the level of the spirit uh, that, the, again, uh, others refer to as the subconscious or the unconscious. Um, but the, the level of personality is our sense of identifying with our mind and with our mental processes. And yet the people that we consider evolved are those who have succeeded in, in quieting their mind, in turning off their mind, at least for periods of time. But because people identify themselves by their mental activity, it's, I think, therefore I am. They equate existence with thinking. And then they're afraid to stop thinking because what's going to happen? I mean, it's oblivion, it's unknown. It's, and, and they have to learn to trust that. And as people do more and more meditation and allow themselves to go more and more quiet, they can experience periods of time where their mind can go quiet and, hey, I'm not thinking, but I'm still experiencing. I'm experiencing something, you know? And so uh, some people are using as, as uh, meditation just watching their breathing. And I remember when I first heard about that, I thought, okay, I watch my breathing. <sighs> it's boring. Nothing's happening. You know, I didn't know what the whole purpose of it was. But the objective was just to hold attention on something happening in the present moment. And when your attention is on something happening in the present moment, that attention has to come away from the thoughts and from the thinking processes. And that's what allows the mind to become more quiet and eventually to stop and uh, to, to be engaged when we choose to engage it or to let it rest when we don't particularly need it in the present moment. And when we do that, then we're able to be more directly in touch with this deeper part of our consciousness, with the level that we call the spirit, and uh, being aware of why we do things, what's the motivation behind our actions, uh, looking at ourselves in, in a way uh, like observing ourselves from... Uh, one meter behind ourselves it's uh, we, we we can see the outer theater but but we can understand why we're doing that what is the expected response we are soliciting or what's the purpose of this outer theater of course the western traditions uh, tend to call this schizophrenic you know they they put a, pejor a pejorative label on anything that's you know not <laughs> society's values but uh, the beings that we consider evolved are the beings who can observe things from this point of view. Uh, for myself and my own evolution, uh, what helped me was to understand that everything that happened in my life was what I really wanted to happen at some level. And in that way, to align my level of personality with my level of spirit uh, 
to acknowledge, yeah, at some point I did decide I wanted that, and then that happened. Or at some point I did decide that I didn't want that to happen, and then it, it didn't happen. And so with this conscious sense of alignment, I could still use my mind, I could still uh, engage my mind, I didn't have to destroy my mind, I didn't have to kill my ego, if you wish. Uh, uh, I don't know, the thought of, of killing one's ego or destroying one's ego, it's like, why would somebody have to destroy some part of themselves in order to evolve? It's more just aligning everything in a particular direction that makes more sense and allows the person to live more consciously, more deliberately. Thank you for listening right to the end. We all see the world through our own perceptive bubble. If yours isn't working for you, maybe you can do something to change it. Above all, trust what feels right for you and, most importantly in these times, remain curious. Remain curious.